0: It is March 23rd, 2013, and ORhistory.com is hosting the party party at the Jack London Bar for Tom McCall's birthday. This is some kick-ass Oregon history.
1: to become
0: Welcome to another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History, a survey created by the geeked-out history folks at orhistory.com. We profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. Kickass ass Oregon History is a presentation of ORHistory.com and is supported by listeners like you. If you'd like to support the
1: podcast,
0: visit ORHistory.com and click Donate.
1: March twenty-second, two 2013
0: would have been Oregon Governor Tom McCall's 100th birthday. And we at Kick-Ass Oregon History are excited to celebrate the legacy of a man who truly helped to define the state of Oregon. Many other historical organizations are planning commemorations, but as you have come to expect from Kick-Ass Oregon History, we try to present the story in our own... distinctive way... excuse me... fucking distinctive way. So rather than focus on the same three topics that everyone else is going to tell you about in this McCallian orgy, we want to present some dissimilar but true stories that you might not hear over the next few weeks. The Other Tom McCall. We bring something a little different. We spice it up. We're the Cholula on your morning eggs, or the three-way your girlfriend's BFF finally convinced you to partake in one drunken game night last week. Today, we are going to discuss Tom McCall, the environmental governor. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Jack London Bar, historian and
2: woodsprite Doug Kent Crispin. Where do geeked out boys and girls go for drinks and mingling in downtown Portland? Why, the Jack London Bar, of course. Steeped in a double helping of Oregon history, the Jack London Bar offers dancing, speakers, and other entertainment pleasure, including my favorite, Stumptown Stories and the Tuesday Free Lecture Series. So come grab a cocktail, a seat at the couch, and get your historical on at the Jack London Bar, underneath the Rialto Pool Room on 4th and Alder in downtown Portland. The Jack London Bar.
0: We stop walking right near where Andy's starting his chainsaw. The saw chokes and barks and dies and barks again with a rising snarl. Andy grins over at us and the hollers, Commencing! Cocks an eye up above for Widowmakers, then touches the saw's blurred teeth against the flanks of a big fur. A fountain of white fir sparks spew against the sun. We stand and watch him make his undercut and scythe the tree. He's made it a little too sloped, so he cuts him a Dutchman and slides it in to account for the extra inch or so, and goes around to the other side and goes at it with the saw again. When the tree creaks and tips and goes whooshing down, I glance over to check the boy and see he's impressed by it. That makes me feel better i have begun to wonder if it's possible at all to talk with him. i have begun to wonder if maybe what a man learns over 12 years in a world so different is like a foreign language that uses some of the words from our world, but not enough to be familiar to us, not enough so we can talk. But when I see him watch that tree come down, I think, there's that, just like any man I ever knew. He likes to see a tree felled. There is that by Christ. These past few weeks, you have probably heard to the point of nausea that Tom McCall was the Oregon environmental governor. And surely much credit should be given to the man for helping keep Oregon in the somewhat pristine state that we enjoy today. But in examining his record, a few historians have pointed out that many of these cornerstone ideas, these foundations of McCall's legacy, were actually the idea of others in Tom's loose circle, which he rightly was quick to grasp on, champion, and then receive the laurels after political victory. Great ideas that many today attribute to Tom McCall and Tom McCall alone. The Tom McCall Waterfront Park, part of the Willamette Greenway in downtown Portland, was the idea of State Treasurer Bob Straub in July of 1966. McCall endorsed the idea and it eventually became his own. House Bill 1601, commonly referred to as the Beach Bill, was a legislative measure introduced in 1967 that almost didn't escape committee Were it not for public interest, Bob Straub, Secretary of State Clay Myers, and, yes, Oregon Governor Tom McCall, even the heralded Bottle Bill, perhaps the crowning achievement of the McCall administrations, was an idea developed, popularized, and moved through the legislature by a man named Richard Chambers. These were concepts created by great men and then taken on as a crusade by another another more charismatic and extremely media-savvy man, and ultimately, they were acts that did make Oregon a better, more scenic place to live in. But let's examine one area that Governor Tom McCall could have impacted that he chose not to. With a little help from Ken Kesey and his book Sometimes a Great Notion, we are going to examine Tom McCall THE LOGGING GOVERNOR Well, I say, we ain't making anything but shadows. Let's get a hold of it. And we start walking again. Joby leaves to fire up the donkey. Lee follows me across a clearing towards the edge of the woods the edge of a pile of slashing and doze berry vine, the clearing quits, and the trees plunge into the sky. That's the part of the show I like best, this edge, where the cutting stops and the forest starts. Always reminded of the edge of a grain field where the reaper has stopped. Behind us, the donkey engine begins wheezing and gagging. I see Joe sitting like a twisted bird high up in his spiny nest of levers and cables and wires grabbing at the throttle. A ball of blue smoke explodes from the exhaust and I think the whole machine is going to shake itself to death. That goddamn outfit should have been retired with the old man, I say. The boy doesn't say anything. We start walking again. Sometimes I hear the knock of an axe where John is chopping off branches, like a wooden bell ringing and that squeal of Joe's radio coming and going over the little breezes. All these things, the way a day gets going, the sound and all. Seeing Lee dig that tree falling made me feel a whole lot better. I decide maybe it's not going to be such a bear as I thought.
2: Logging in Oregon is technically even older than air-quote Oregon itself. The first sawmill to be set up in the region was in 1827. The first lumber export was just six years later, and that load of Oregon boards went to China. By 1870, there were 173 sawmills in the Beaver State, and this number just grew and grew. Sixty years later, there would be 608 lumber mills, 64 planing mills, 47 furniture factories, and 5 paper mills, all in Oregon, baby. The good old days, some old timers might say, or maybe not. The trucks, the cats, the yarders, I say more power to them. Booger
0: these peckerwoods always talking about the good old days. Let me tell you, there weren't nothing good about the good old days but for free Indian nookie. And that was all. far as working, logging, it was bust your bleedin' ass from dark to dark and maybe you'd fall three trees. Three trees! And any snot-nosed kid nowadays could lop all three of them over in half an hour with a home light. No, sir. Good old days, the booger. The good old days didn't hardly make a dent in the shade. If you want to cut you a piece, you... You can see out in these goddamn hills. You better get out there with the best thing man can make. Listen, even writing all his crap about automation, he talked like you gotta go easy on this stuff. I know better. I seen it. I cut it down and it's coming back up. It'll always be coming back up. It'll outlast anything, skin and bone. You need to get in there with some machines and tear the hell out of it. He lurched violently across the room, clearing his throat, wiping at the long, cornstarch hair worrying his eyes, working his mouth in a grimacing mixture of anger and exuberance, of fury, practically, of drunken, dedicated fury. He turned and came thundering back. Tear it out! Only thing! Chop out the big stuff and burn the brush! Grab up the brambles and poison the vines! God damn right! What if it is growing back as soon as you bat your eye? Screw it. You don't get it this round, you get it the next.
2: Oregon's size has been quantified at 64 million acres, with 24 million of these acres being forested. And about 65% of these forests are publicly held by federal, state, and local governmental management agencies. The role that these forests allowed Oregon to play on the global timber economy is mind boggling. In 1947, rinky-dink Coos Bay Astoria was christened lumber capital of the world. To say logging and timber has been vital to the economy in Oregon is an understatement. The McCall administration likely saw the Oregon logging industry into its peak. In 1967, Oregon was the top producer of lumber in the United States. The industry was immensely important to our state's economy. In 1972, One out of every 11 Oregon workers' livelihoods was directly tied to the timber industry. Entire towns in the Cascade Range were logging communities completely dependent on felling those trees. And Governor McCall was determined to see that
0: this agri-economy did not slow, no matter the environmental repercussions. As the governor told the 1969 Oregon Logging Conference attendees, the health of your industry measures the economic growth of our state. At the time of our tale, the federal government oversaw about 57% of Oregon's forests. The U.S. Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management operated under what they termed sustained yields which was the principle of not felling more trees than these timberlands could handle. But often Governor McCall would ask the feds to allow cuts larger than these D.C. agencies felt were sustainable.
2: When Senator Mark Hatfield proposed to expand Northeastern Oregon's Eagle Cap Wilderness Area, McCall opposed the move. Hatfield wanted to add an additional 100,000 acres to the wilderness area, but McCall thought that was too much. He felt that the scenic corridor should be protected, but that behind that corridor, loggers should be able to do what the fuck they wanted and have their way with the woods.
0: Hank takes a package of cigarettes. He tosses one to Lee and puts another in the corner of his mouth. See if I can give you some idea. Now, the tree you want for the spar is the biggest tree on the biggest hill you can find. It's going to be like the main center tent pole of our circus. And it's going to be the last one cut on the hill, see? The last one up there after we clear off the rest of the show. Okay? I get into this rig... Um, 20 pounds of paraphernalia, maybe more, handsaw, axe, hooks, rope, and throw a line around me in the tree and up the son of a bitch I climb, lopping off branches as I go. And I get started telling him about rigging the spar, just to have something to pass the time at first, figuring that if he liked watching the tree felled when we first got to the show, he ought to like topping it too. As you go up, you take the line around the tree, get shorter as the tree gets smaller. You're chopping one-handed, whack, whack, at the little limbs. Not many big limbs on a fir till right at the top, but you still got to get the little ones and keep an eye peeled where that safety line is, because if you get that with the axe, brother, wire, center, or no, that could be all she wrote. Lots of climbers have chopped their line. That's how Percy Williams bought it. A husband of one of Henry's first cousins, he cut his line. Hit feet first and jammed his legs all the way up to his shoulder blades, so you learn to watch out. Watch out those stobs we call gut gougers. Watch out you get a good bite with your spurs or you slip and slide twenty feet and peel hide off your chest and belly and thighs like scraping a carrot. And you want to know something else, bub? You're scared as hell. They say that the first spar is the tallest, but that's all hokum. Everyone you climb is the tallest. Christ, this son of a bitch is a good
2: 40,000 board feet. There's not much more of a disgusting sight than witnessing a large tract of forest that has been clear-cut. brown stumps left as testament to the raping that occurred. Abundant clear-cutting is thought by many to have damaged water quality in rivers and lakes and streams, been destructive to wildlife habitat, and endangered Oregonians' recreational opportunities. 1971 saw a move by multiple Western governors to create a moratorium on clear-cutting. But not in Oregon, baby. Governor McCall steadfastly refused to support a moratorium on clear-cutting.
0: Public opposition to these sweeping clear-cuts was a real thing, even in 1971. When addressing the Pacific Logging Congress at the Memorial Coliseum, the president of Georgia-Pacific, William H. Hunt, referred to these oppositional elements as Modern Druids of the New Nature Cult. Holt delivered a keynote speech entitled Witch Doctors in the Woods. In it, he called preservationists Prophets of Doom, who often sound like woodsy witch doctors of a revived ancient nature cult that insults the intelligence of those they would sway. governor also addressed the same logging congress. He warned the timber executives that it would be a wise management decision for loggers to leave a thick buffer of trees when working near public highways in Orange. The whetstone of public reaction sharpens both the economic and political system. And I think both, therefore, serve the timber resource and the public better. The appearance of a thriving dense forest to the motorists in Oregon was what was important to McCall. In January of 1972, President Nixon proposed a restriction of clear-cutting on federal lands. Our environmental governor lashed out at the president. My position is that clear-cutting is a defensible management tool. If clear-cutting were abolished or severely restricted in the douglas fir region, it would have significant impact on our economy. I seriously doubt that we could then generate the volume of logs to our mills that clear-cutting makes possible. McCall labeled clear-cutting as a sound, historically proven forestry practice that is essential to the good health of a number of forest types, including the rainforests of Oregon. And McCall also said that he warned officials from the Department of the Interior that prohibition of clear cutting in Oregon's Douglas fir forests would have the effect of changing Oregon's official tree to hemlock. The hillside rang with the tight whine of cutting. The sound of work in the woods was like insects in the walls numb clubs of feet registered the blow against the cold earth only by the pained jarring in the bones. Henry dragged a screwjack to a new log. Joe Ben sang along with his radio. The forest fought against the attack on its old age domain with all the age-old weapons nature could muster. Blackberries strung out barbed barricades. The wind shook widow-makers crashing down from high-rotted snags. Boulders reared silently from the ground to block slides that had looked smooth and clear a moment before. Streams turned solid trails into creeping ruts of ice-brown lava. And in the tops of the huge trees, the very rain seemed to work at fixing the trees standing threading the million green needles in an attempt to stitch the trees upright against the sky. But the trees continued to fall, gasping long sighs and coumping against the spongy earth, to be trimmed and bucked into logs, to be coaxed and cajoled downhill into the river with unflagging regularity, in spite of all
2: nature could do to stop it. Fuck a scenic corridor. Walk in the forest, a real, live, thriving forest. Feel the duff on the ground, under your feet, often airy and spongy with space and life. Walk to a tree and touch its bark, sometimes mossy and sticky with sap. Look up and see the cathedral-like canopy over you. Songbirds and other forest creatures create the climactic choir for your ears. Now, I don't mean to sound like some natured cult druid or a goddamn hippie here, but there's a fucking spiritual connection that we Oregonians have with our forests. It's absolutely spiritual. It helps to define us, and Tom McCall saw this same experience, this dirty tree-hugging, dirt-worshipping ceremony, as nothing more than a state-sized cash till popping open with a loud, audible, ding! And it's not fucking right. Sure, it was a different era, and the state was dependent on timber dollars. But Governor McCall chose to expand logging, while at the same time discouraging other industry. Maybe more sustainable, family wage-supplying industry from moving into Oregon. When McCall famously stated in March of 1969 that... Oregon has been suspicious of rattle and bang It would seem that his ears were not bothered by the sound of chainsaws and the deadening thump of trees falling in the virgin forest
1: Light and day is more than you'll say cause all my feelings are more than I all the day all the day
0: Thank you for listening, Ass Kickers, and be on the lookout for future podcasts by our crew. We hope that you agree that this episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Today's podcast was brought to you by ORhistory.com. It was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Doug Kank Crispin and Andy Lindbergh. Citations are available on request check out our website at orhistory.com. there you can subscribe to the podcast and have it delivered through RSS directly to your device. You can sign up for our exciting Oregon history events, pick up Oregon history merchandise, get a list of songs featured in each podcast, receive extra insights into podcast topics and read of our adventures as Oregon's rock and roll historians. You can also support the podcast. Go to orhistory.com and click Donate. Follow us on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. You can also like us on the Facebook. The email address is Oregon at gmail.com. And hey, join us March twenty-third, twenty thirteen at 8 p.m. Kickass Oregon History is proud to partner with the Jack London Bar to present. Tom McCall's 100th birthday, The Party Party. Please join resident historian Doug Kent Crispin and Nestucca Spit Press historian Matt Love as they give you the straight shit on Tom McCall's Oregon legacy. Drink specials, a costume party, a film viewing, live music, great prizes, and the premiere of Know Your City's Tom McCall comic by Sarah Merck and Daniel Duffers. The first 25 people in the door get a free comic. This is the kick-ass Tom McCall birthday party that you are going to want to be at. So please, join us on March 23, 2013 at 8 p.m. down at the Jack London Bar. Just don't get too close to Mr. Kink Crispin. He is a prophet of doom who often sounds like a woodsy witch doctor of a revived ancient nature cult that insults your intelligence. You stay historic, Oregon, and
2: kick
1: ass!